John, did R. Kelly's um, riveting uh, plea of innocence sway you in any way? <laughs> Absolutely not. I think it actually did the opposite. Uh, it's funny, I read something this morning that said that his, uh, his attorneys, um, they advised this interview thinking that it would kind of, like you said, sway people into believing him, and then it actually backfired, <laughs> and it, and it kind of takes me to, like, what, who was this advisor? <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know if R. Kelly at this point has exactly the best uh, Cracker Jack lawyer team around him. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised someone saying, "Hey, this could this could work." <laughs> it's like who thought that was a good idea, but it was it was everything that it's like the more he he talked, the more he seemed like not innocent, and it was great content for Twitter. It's kind of kind of for me that kind of shows where we are right now as a society, where a man, whether he's being honest or dishonest, literally pours his heart out. And in two minutes, he becomes a meme on the internet for about three weeks now. And it's just fascinating to see he gave, how that... He, he gave you 30 years of his career. <laughs> just boiled down into that. And it, but what was funny to me was that his voice his voice would fluctuate. Yeah. From, like, he has that kind of southern uh, whispery, like... You know, when when, when uh, Gail King's asking him if he kept the women, he's like, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How that like... <laughs> and then he just starts going into that screechy, I'm not even going to try to do the voice, but... Yeah, but it's like he's in a, he's in a music video. Like, he's recording a music video. Yeah, it's a, it, it's, it's a straight performance. The entirety yeah. of the time, he's doing the... He's got the... After he goes up and starts screaming at everybody and yeah. with his hand gestures beating his chest where he knows the mic is so that you get that you get that sound coming off and then they do that they do that amazing cut where get where he sits back down and they're doing the james brown on him where they're like wiping the sweat off and they're redoing the makeup it it, it, it's like it's amazing editing because it it really is it's (laughs) the only thing missing was the cape yeah, that's all he needed. They needed to do the cape routine on him. Yeah, that's all he needed to Kel's cape. That would have sent it off. But it was it was completely in the production. And uh, what happened happened. We got we got a week or two worth of memes and videos on Twitter for it. But like, in this also, it's a, we've known this about R. Kelly for what fifteen years, twenty years now, like. Well, that's that's the indictment here on society as a prize, you know. Like we, 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 he's being charged for things that happened in ninety one, two thousand and three, yeah. and it, it took a lifetime documentary for people, you know, because people react when others react, essentially, and it's it, it's kind of an indictment on us as a society that it took this, even on the Michael Jackson thing documentary that came out. It's like we've known these things, we've seen it, yes, but now. But these were like, op- like even with the Michael Jackson stuff, it was like open it was an open joke in the early 2000s like yeah. like yeah. south park did episodes on it like you know there were numerous co- comedy skits that it's like everyone seemed to forget that and it's like did you guys know michael jackson was a kind of a weird skeevy individual yeah we did yeah. then he died and then everybody like loved him again because he died and people don't mm-hmm. apparently nobody wants to speak ill of the dead but you know 
this is part of it. Like, this was a major part of it. The guy had a, Michael Jackson, he had a zoo. Yeah. With a train that went, like, around the property to, like, look at the animals in the zoo. That he would specifically for children. Specifically to let kids through. Like, this is weird. There's there's nothing about this where it's like, oh, yeah, that's normal. That's what normal people do. But, you know. And even like. Coming back from this. And R. Kelly's in that. R. Kelly is still alive, so he has to now answer for this. And I don't know if he goes to jail or not, but, man. He might go to jail for, like, child support because he went back to jail before child support. Yeah. So it's like, it's it's not good for him. Like, like, like imagine being, like, like a parent or imagine being the kids, like, your father is fighting this pedophilia kind of case and then he's also in jail because he's not paying your mother the child yeah. support funds it's like and because he's uh and because he's um apparently chaining uh 16 year olds in his basement he cannot go on tour as much right. so he's he's, he's playing support, to right? less and less he's playing to fewer and fewer people like that guy's basically that guy's life is over there's no like you know, he can't go to work at, he can't go work at Best Buy, you know? Oh, no. It's pretty much no. just either go do really small gigs for, like, the 50 people who still love you, um, go to jail. There's really about two choices here. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, it, it, it should be jail, but. Yeah. Like, like you said, there, there, there are people, with more than 50 people who support him, and they'll go watch him if he was to be out here still going on tour to perform music and that's the that's kind of the sick part of it all who, where people just aren't buying it for the mere fact of that he was a great musician and then when you look at that you look at the music and the content and with and then the things that he was speaking of it's directly towards the nasty things that he's being alleged to do so it's it's all it's all weird it's all of it is, is, is this nastiness yeah <laughs> so um is there anything else we can talk about while we stall or we do we have to get to it at some point? Um, let me see. Here. Anything uh, possibly else? I mean, not really. Like, I, I'm, I'm still personally, I'm still in shock and disbelief, and I'm trying to watch uh, some soccer games today. It's just, it's just. No, I, I'm not. I'm watching the Knicks lose. <laughs> that's what I'm doing. They they had like a 15 point lead against the Kings, and that's completely gone now. And they're playing. It's it's actually hysterical to watch the, the ghost of DeAndre Jordan. Like yeah. he doesn't look as tall. He yeah, looks he's he- on the Knicks. He's on the Knicks right now with like Alonzo yeah. Trier and Kenneth and uh, Kenneth Knox or whatever Dennis the hell his name Jr. is. Ne- Dennis Smith Jr. That kid, that Knox kid from Kentucky. Yeah. It's yeah, but um yeah, Wednesday wasn't fun. Uh, I had kind of resigned myself to the fate after the second goal because that yeah. there's just. Too many omens in my, in that direction, and at that at some point you just have to say, you know, this is what it is. You know, even in the second half, I was just like, it's coming. We just have to wait for it, but it's gonna, yeah, yeah. it's gonna, it's gonna show up. You know, yeah. In that article that I wrote, like I wrote it in sort of a, I, I wrote a poem in it, and the basically the idea of it was, you know. Time is inevitable. Death is inevitable. And in this case, PSG 
losing in Champions League is almost as inevitable at this point as death. As life, yeah. And, and that, and we'll get into some of the deeper things, but I, do, do you have any sort of analysis of this game? Because what do you analyze? Like, what I, I can't imagine what there is to analyze in this game. Like, I'm sorry to our audience that we can't give them, like, a reason, like a tactical reason why this happened, because I don't think I can give you one. Well, the thing is, even if you could, it all falls back on the whole inevitability that you're speaking of. It's no matter how it went, no matter if we, if we want to talk about the penalty decisions, they should have never been in that position, which is why all of this is so inexplicable because, like you said, there's no way to break down who did what, what what went wrong, and like, I, I don't know. Like, well, we do know that something has to change, and I think we'll get into that later on uh, into the show. But it's it, it's one of those things where, like, I watched it. Um, I watched the first half in the car on my way home to work, trying to drive safely and <laughs> and, and, and keep up with what's going on. And, you know, I, I was able to see the, the, the first two goals, and, you know, I felt relatively comfortable. But like you said, after that second goal, it was like no matter how this game ended, whether we won or lost, that was a horrible performance from PSG. And, and if you want to contextualize it in terms of going forward into the tournament, if we're going to play like that, we're, we're not going to win this this Champions League uh, this year. And that so there's, so, there's, there's a lot of layers into why it's disappointing and, you know, you can start with the fact that Real Madrid are relatively are, are out and Barcelona, you know, depending on how Leon play, uh, Juventus, they're down two, two goals to Atletico Madrid, uh, Bayern, uh, you know, they're in a sticky situation. So it's it, it's it's that. And then we, we can possibly get Neymar back if we advance and all of those things. And it's like Thomas Tuchel's finally here. He's changing everything. But nope. Same shit, different day. That's the... And that's sort of the distillation of it. It is same... It's same shit, different day. But you, you almost feel... And I, I don't like to do analogies, but I'll do them in certain cases. This is like the alcoholic who's sober for a certain amount of time and you see them turning their lives around. But then there's that thing that happens that just, like collapses everything and they go back into it. And I don't mean to make light and, you know, alcoholism is a terrible, terrible thing. And I get, and I don't want to sort of equivocate between the two, but there is that sort of psychology of being defined by your failure and being defined by the thing that holds you like sort of in the gravitational uh, pull. And it's like, you're in the first minute or two minutes of the game. You're just making backpack. You're just at that point in the game. Basically, all you're trying to do is just get a feel for the ball. Like you're not even at that in that moment thinking of scoring or really thinking anything tactically. You're in the first two minutes of the of the game. All you're trying to do is settle the game down and just get your feel for the game. And that might have been Tilo Kerr's second or third touch, maybe at most. Maybe even it was his first touch the game. And it's like, he just didn't weigh the ball right. Like, just so, such a simple mistake. 
to just not weigh the ball right. He'll kind of pass it in between Silva and Buffon, and for Lukaku to be where he was, it led to that goal. And at that point, I'm just like, there it is. Like, that. I'm sorry, that doesn't happen to Bayern Munich. No matter how bad Bayern Munich are, like... Bayern Munich haven't been great this year. Neither is Juventus. Well, Juventus has been good because that league's been down this year. But Bayern hasn't been great. Real Madrid hasn't been great. And even Real Madrid losing 4-1 to Ajax. Ajax had to get those goals. Real didn't just hand them goals. Like, Ajax had to physically go out there and score those goals. Like, good teams, you know, quality level European teams don't just hand you goals like that. And that first goal, it's like, Tilo had been fine. He'd had his moments of, uh, he'd had his bad moments throughout the year, but he'd had some really good moments too. And it's like, at that moment, it's a signal. And for those players in that team, it it had to be sort of, it had to shake them a little bit. Not as much as the second one, but it had to shake them. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's where I was kind of, in, in, in the progression of the match, it's like, all right, the first goal, it's a bad sign, but we still got this, right? Yeah. And I think that for the players, because, I'm, again, I'm still trying to put myself in their shoes to see how in the world they can let this happen, right? So it's like, all right, you give up the first goal, whatever. Bad mistake, let's not make it, let it happen again. And that sort of complacency and that content. Uh, demeanor followed throughout the entire match and you can feel it from watching the game you can feel the tension and I was watching um, uh, Lee Davy I think is his name um, uh, who did the video review on PSG Talk um, I don't know if I say the guy's name right I'm no he did. It's, it's, I did I think it's Lee Davy okay yeah so and, and he, he said the same thing he was in the property class saying that the tension was in the air the entire time where, like you were just saying, like you could feel that this is going wrong. Like the the, 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 the Barcelona uh, collapse is happening again right here at the Parc de Plans. And I felt that from the TV. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, you know, from watching it on the TV, and, and that was just, it was just such a... Uh, such a uh, anxious time, and yeah. I'm, I'm standing up watching the, the match, and you can and, and you can see the weakness of the team at that moment, yeah. where they have but, no answer. But they the no I answer. the irony though, it, or the or the thing about it was, they responded after that that first goal. They responded, and for the next about 25 minutes, played really well. Yeah. Like they got the ball into dangerous areas. Bernat gets that goal. And at that point, it's 1-1, and PSG are in full control of the match. Yeah. And they've gained the higher ground again. But then, like, United make a couple of... United settle a bit. They start moving the ball. And then Marcus Rashford, from, like, 30 feet away, 30 yards away, like... I don't know how far he was. It was really far away. Just, like, takes this, like, Charlie Brown to the football kind of, like, wind up to shoot... No one goes out to him at all. And there were spaces all over the place. Like, with defensively, and we were just going to say some tactics in here, PSG left a lot of space. Because of space, yeah. they were, I think, after that first goal, I think they were, they overcorrected a little bit. 
in that they wanted to win this game. They didn't just want to survive the tie. They wanted to win this game. So they got that first goal, but then they kept being aggressive and they kept pressing and they kept leaving space for United in the back. And Lukaku did a great job occupying defenders because he's a big physical center back, center forward. And that sort of allowed Rashford to get space. That allowed um, those midfielders a little more space because PSG were so worried about Lukaku and his physicality that once they started letting that space open, Rashford just was allowed to take a wide open shot. And it swerved on Buffon, but still, this is a goalkeeper that's been doing this for almost 25 years. And I don't think I've ever seen him in a Champions League just kind of ole the ball like that. Like, that's a ball that he just has to knock over to the right out of, like, out of harm. Instead, he just pops it to Lukaku again, who is just sort of always there to be dangerous, and he puts it back. And at that point, I thought the game was over. At that point, I'm like, okay, they could recover from one of these mistakes. They can't recover from two. Yeah, you just felt like those mistakes were going to keep coming because, like you said, if, if, if we've had two already... Like the way the, the the match was progressing again, and so when when I was mentioning that mentioning that tension in the match, it was more so in the in the sixties between the sixtieth and eightieth minute where everything kind of went down. Those moments where it was a lot of stagnant offensive uh, uh, work from PSG, and there was there was no there was no no solution, no creativity, and 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 nothing was happening, and you just felt like. It's it's coming like and 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 we we're we're sort of this we're sort of scorned in this way as PSG fans where we almost we we expect the worst and hope for something and you just kind of feel it you feel it coming and and it came in in, in a way that you know it, it can be deemed controversial but they never should have been in that position and um, I, I I don't know how to explain. Um, how how we've been we've kind of formed this identity of being able to switch formations uh, in the middle of the game from you know playing a back four to a back three that never happened this match it seemed like they 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 stuck to one formation and no matter how how much they weren't able to sort of neutralize Lukaku and, and, and Rashford they never changed the formation to to kind of be able to take away those spaces and and and, and clog up the midfield and yeah. it, it was just like nothing, but like all of a sudden everything you learn all year <laughs> yeah it's now, but that's it's now but that's what i mean when i make that um when i make that analogy earlier on about the alcoholic you can know the right thing to do yeah. But when you're under pressure and when that second half just kept and that second half, it just kept building and building yeah. and building. They were less effective offensively. They were I don't think United had a shot on goal, but you still felt like all it took was one. All it took was one moment. And that's where under that kind of pressure, this team fails miserably like they they don't fail like. I put this, they don't fail in a sense of like, okay, the, the, the coach got the tactics wrong and the players weren't trying. It's not an effort thing. And I think that's where sort of the, the you know, the ultra's statement that they made was a little over the top in that 
This wasn't like an effort thing. Like, if PSG are trying their hardest in these games, the problem is they're so um, cognizant of making mistakes. They're so cognizant of the history that surrounds them that they cannot go. They can't go out there and just play and follow what they know how to do. What will happen is they'll try to do too much. If you looked at the, the last sequence of play that led to the penalty, PSG were completely out of position. And the only reason they're completely out of position is because they lost the ball and they were desperate to get the ball back. And they were trying to throw multiple bodies and they essentially left the whole side of the field empty. It was amazing to watch. They all overloaded the right. The ball was swung from left to right from the United side to a wide-open Diego Dallo. And the whole defense is on one side, and they have to all rush back to cut off the shooting lane. And even though that shot was going into the 15th row, Kimpembe is late to get back, so he has to try to jump into position, and he leaves his arm out. And I'm not going to say, and I'm not going to do the thing that we always, that sometimes we always do, which is, oh, that was the wrong penalty. I will say this. I kind of agree with the call in a certain sense. It was, by UEFA's definition, it's a handball. The, the arm is outside of the framework of the body. It was hanging there. He's trying to pull it back a little bit, but it does hit the elbow and influence the shot. So could you have not called it? Maybe, but I'm not going to like say, oh, we're, we lost that game because of that call, because that's one of those 50-50 calls. It's like that, you know, in the World Cup final this year, the handball call on, uh, was it on Rakitic, the, 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 where it hit the hand from a close distance? It might have been. I'm not sure. Well, no, it, it might have been the defend, the, like the, the long-haired, def- whoever it was, but you remember what I'm talking about, right? Like, that could have gone either way. That was a 50-50, but they, uh, it seems like the new way to do it is if there's any doubt, it, you lean towards calling handball. So I'm not going to use that as some sort of escape valve for this. Like, I refuse to. Should never have come to that. I don't know if you think differently, but I just don't think that was ever... Once they, I saw the replay, I'm like, there's no way they don't call this a handball. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, it's once once they went to VAR, and, and the, the stupidest, well, not, let me not say stupid, but the most, like, ill-equipped um, argument that people were making was that they're slowing down the replay. It's like, what are you talking about? That's the entire point of the replay is to slow it down <laughs> and to look at it in the most detailed form so like once it went to that like yes it was going to show that it touched his hand and he kind of left it hanging there my only argument was that in that moment in that time he he's not looking at the ball he doesn't know where it's at you, you just don't make that call yeah but again like like we just said it, it it's super irrelevant when it comes to psg it's super irrelevant because we should have never been in that position yeah and 
and and like like you said, we, we're we're all overloading to one way. If if, if you look behind, underneath the Kipembe, is Marco Verratti diving for his life <laughs> because they didn't know whether that ball was going to go into the goal or not. Because like you said, they're scrambling at that point where it's a it's a it's a survival mode more so than being in control. And that kind of speaks to the whole nature of the mentality at that moment where yeah. it's crunch time. We're, we're about to get into extra time. And now is the time where we have that relapse, per se, like you've been alluding to. It's like now everything kind of goes out the window and it's it's really shocking. Yeah. But again, that, I don't care about the controversy of a penalty because we should have never been in that but position. That, but that's the key. And you say it perfectly there. It's survival mode. And that's the whole thing we're trying to go against, which is... These guys just running around, you know, just running around the, the field without any sort of focus or plan. And it's like, I think Tomas Tuchel was working really hard and succeeding in a lot of ways in getting PSG away from that sort of, we go into these big games, we get punched in the mouth, and then we don't know how to respond, so we just sort of run around and try to do stuff. But in that second half, it really felt like all that stuff came back. All those bad habits came back because they just, and that's where the lack of leadership comes in. And we're going to sort of spin this forward because I think that as good as some of these key pieces have been, and you start with, and not specifically end with, but you start with players like Edinson Cavani. And I know he didn't play in that game really. He played after after that last goal and he tried to, come on to save the thing, but he is a symbol of the era. And uh, let's add another name to that, Tiago Silva. Another player who is as much a symbol of this era of PSG as anybody. Maybe more than even Zlatan, more than like Neymar or anything like that. You go to that sort of over 30 core leadership group, Danny Alves even, you know, there's no, I think, there's maybe two, three names that you, you exclude from this. But starting with that sort of over 30 leadership group, you have to ask yourself, is there been, and I, I, I would contend absolutely, I think there's just been too much water underneath this this sort of bridge of failure. And I it's hard to say that these players have been failures because they've you know, they've controlled League Gun. They've had some really great Champions League performances over the years. The 4 0 against Barcelona, the 2 0 at Manchester United. They've had some really, the Liverpool game this year, that are going to kind of be forgotten in all of this. They've done some really great things in the Champions League, but in the end, if your goal as an organization is to win this incredibly difficult competition, and you have this core group of players that have been responsible for some of the most embarrassing defeats in the history of the competition, and they've been doing this for five, six years, at some point, is it just, is there too much baggage to trust? And I think that's where I I come in on this. Some of these players are just untrustworthy. And it's like, how many times can you allow this team to keep going back to just do the same thing and not sort of correct it with different players. That That's where I, I find myself. I find myself thinking, 
yeah, some of these guys are great, and they've done some great things for PSG, but if your goal is to win this Champions League thing, these players, there's just they've they've hurt this fan base too much. This fan base can't trust them again. And when your fan base can't trust the, pl- the players on the field, they're not going to give their 100% in the stands. They're not going to be as invested in the product because they know that in the end... All the investment, all the money spent, all the road trips, all that stuff, it's just going to end the same way. And that's where I think that they need to cleanse this roster because it's not so much the lack of talent, although I think there's something to say for that, but it's they now have completely um, exhausted their line of credit with the fan base. Yeah, I, I think we've reached uh, a tipping point, if there is one. Um, you know, some could have argued that the Barcelona thing was a tipping point, but then you can kind of um, make the argument of who was the, who was coaching and what player was available and all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, man, it's like you, you, you understand what the ultras are saying, right? Like, even though some of their words were harsh, but there's a pain there, man. Like, even me, I'm not an ultra. I don't go to all the matches. I'm not even in, 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 in France. But it was it was painful to to um, to witness. A, like, it's like, it's a, it's a similar collapse. Like, it's the same thing in the same way with the same players. And uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's unfortunate. And the, the unfortunate part about it is, I was kind of talking to uh, on Twitter with uh, with uh, Daniel uh, Pregbaha, and we were kind of talking about the same guys who showed progression. Those same core players of Cavani and Marquinhos, Silva and Verratti, who were part of the core group of that traumatized kind of uh, central uh, folks in the in the team. They they showed progression this year and still reverted back to that same kind of weak mentality in this particular match and that's for me that 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 at that point something has to change right and 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 i'm not i'm not with the notion of blowing up the entire team because there are some essential players that that have to be here uh for for contractual reasons financial reasons and just for team chemistry have to be there but something has to change here because we're going to keep supporting the team that's not going to change but man it sure doesn't help for the however many months as we're about to be on twitter trying to get this content off <laughs> and we have to hear from these 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 fans of these other teams yeah. who don't really have a basis of, of an argument a, a, a good point but you can't really even say anything back because the team that we're supporting and we're arguing for is letting us down on the pitch. And, uh, and that's, that's the conundrum and that's the hard part from a fan perspective with the team is like we can't even defend y'all anymore because every time we do, we're the one who gets the short end of the stick. And all you do in an interview is say that you're sorry and yeah. you, you know, you're going to eat your shit or whatever and, and you're going to get better. That don't that don't change what we got going on, and obviously y'all have to take the the the, the backlash, or whatever. But it, like it's it's the same same thing, and uh, it, it, it's very difficult, and something has to change. And we've all kind of alluded to if it's if it's not players or it has to be executives, you know, and the, the, the top positions within the club. But 
there is a, a an, an unfortunate aura around PSG, and winning the Champions League, you need good luck, and PSG just have bad luck. Yeah, but that bad luck is that bad luck is sort of self created because it comes from the self doubt. And that's what I, I was sort of talking about in the previews to this game, and it's why I wasn't confident. Like, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I don't like being right about this, but, you know, Ed was talking yeah. about they're going to win 4-0, 5-0. I'm like, no, they're not. Like, that's not who PSG is. Like, PSG are always haunted by this stuff. And when it came back, when Tilo Kerr opened the door... And then Buffon opened it even wider. Like, all that stuff comes back. It's not something you can put away. The only way you can put it away is to win the... There's really two ways. You either win the Champions League or you get rid of the key players that have been involved in this nonsense. Now, my thought is the best way to go about this is to do it progressively over the next couple of years. You can't do it all at once. But it's clear. Silva, Thiago Silva's contract is up in 2020. So is Edinson Cavani's. It would be beyond stubborn, beyond, uh, I think, beyond, uh, what would the word be, irresponsible to extend either of those players. Uh And I know they don't like selling some of these guys, but this is one of those where it's like, sell Thiago Silva, sell Edinson Cavani. Those are the first moves you make on July 1st. You sell both of those players. And at that point, at that point, once you sell those players, you can start to rebuild the core of that team. And it is at this point where I now have to try to call John back because he has dropped off. So let's try to call him back just to get him on the line. But as I'm saying, it's just... There are certain players that they do have to sell. Hey, John. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, you dropped off for a second, so I'm just going to go right back into what I was saying, just so you have uh, caught up. Okay. So, what I was saying was, you have to start with... You have to start with Cavani and Silva, whose contracts expire in 2020. I don't think you can give them extensions. I don't even think they should be on the team next year. Because as great as they've been, as much as they've done, and we greatly appreciate it, because they've given their heart and their soul to the team, can you really go out there another year with Thiago Silva as your captain? Knowing what has happened, can the fan base trust that player? Can they fully invest in a player that they cannot trust? Whether it's all his fault or none of his fault or 50% of his fault. Same thing with Edinson Cavani. It's like he should have been out there for both of those legs against Manchester United. But he pulls his hip. He he tears a muscle in his hip kicking a penalty. Like, you got to ask that question, John. I, I, I I don't think those two should be on the team next year. Yeah, well, as far as Cavani, that for me, it's um, you're looking at what's around. Um, you know, we have Neymar and, and, and Mbappe and, and, and these young, you know, Diaby coming up, and Cavani shows inconsistency 
and um, there is a case there that you can make that we we can move on without him. And same thing with Thiago Silva. There is a case because you have Carer and and uh, and um, um, Pembe and Marquinhos, Pembe and, and Silky coming up. But unlike the, the only reason, like I, I'm okay with if, if, if Thiago Silva isn't the captain of PSG. I, that 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 makes zero difference to me, like that, because at the end of the day, you know, if you wear the captain armband, yeah, that's cool, but you know, it, the, the 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 leaders show themselves on the pitch, but he's the best defender on on PSG, and and that and that cannot go unnoticed, and and, and I know I understand the traumatic aspect of 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 everything that has happened as he is the captain of the, of the team and has to take that. That blowback, and you know, when 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 the team wins, he gets credit. The coach gets credit. When they lose, the same thing happens. But he he is the, he is the, still at 34 years old, the most calm and and best quality defender on the team. So if if his if his contract is is a year or two left, let him see that out. Because I think if, if this team has to progress. With, with those young defenders, with, with Marquinhos would be the, the senior defender of that team, and I, even though I like that that prospect because I think Marquinhos is a wonderful defender, I still feel like Silva can give you something there that Cavani more so cannot because you have Mbappe and Neymar and these other guys who can light up the scoreboard, and and that's sort of where I stand with that. But in terms of his leadership, we can question that all day. Like like I said, it's he you know he he. He he does he has this this stigma now where it, it doesn't happen for him and he's usually the captain when it happens and it, it's really unfortunate and um, it's it, it's actually ironic that Romelu Lukaku <laughs> has been the center the center forward uh, the last two times Thiago Silva has been knocked out of a competition where you know Belgium knocked out Brazil in the World Cup and same thing here you know he has you know those difficulties with those physical physical set of forwards, but at the end of the day, for me, it, it comes down to, if we're talking about these two players in particular, because Verratti has to say, no matter how he has been part of that, that core group, he has to say because... No, he was, the, he was the best player on the field. He was their best yeah, player. Like, there's, yeah, yeah. It's not everybody, but you have to, but you have to, I think, take stock of most of these players and, and ask the question whether they should be part of the future plans. Yeah, and that's that's totally understood. Now, if we go out there and and, and, and go get a Koulibaly or another, like it, it, we we might not even have to go get another center back because uh, we have three talented ones. But yeah, you you'll probably have to get someone to compensate what Thiago Silva brings in terms of quality and, and, and experience and, and, the, and the presence and the calming presence uh, when when PSG get in those situations and. Uh, you know, it, it's it, it's difficult to say because, again, when 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 times when 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 you're losing, you're gonna get the 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 the, um, the, the brunt of the of the impact of from the the, the fans and the media, and, and likewise when you win, that just comes with the territory of being a leader and a captain. But in terms of individual quality, when we take uh, take the armband away, he. He he can be valuable to this team still, I believe, but more so than Anderson Cavani, where like I said, we can get those those goal scoring opportunities from other individuals. It, it it also comes down to whether you think this team can contend next year for the Champions League or not, 
And I think that's where we've deluded ourselves a bit into thinking that they're only one piece away or they're only two pieces away. In my mind, they're five to six pieces away in that I think they should take next year as sort of a um, as sort of a, a, a gap year to just redo what they're doing and rotate a lot of those guys out and bring in new guys so that when they start, you know, when they really go to compete again for that top, top level, it's not the same guys. And it's not always about talent to me. Like, Silva is a great talent. I, I can't doubt that. And I can't also, I can't doubt that he's been a victim of circumstances a bit as well. But at some point, you have to figure out a way to build something that's not only going to get you to that point, but last and be sustainable. Because if he comes back next year and they don't do it again, and then he leaves, or you do the worst possible thing and you extend him, and now you're stuck with him, even if as he's a depreciating asset and you're losing in Champions League, uh, you know, in the Champions League, to me it's like it, those two are the the ones you have to seriously consider. And I think you're. I love Julian Draxler, I, I but he's. He, if and it also it also depends on what Neymar does, and I think Neymar's the Neymar thing is more up to him than anything else. Like, I would I would have an honest conversation with him and go, here's what we're going to do. We are going to not re, necessarily rebuild the team, but we're going to get a lot of different players here, and it might take a year to just sort of get those new players to be doing what Tuchel wants them to do or whoever the coach is. And, you know, you might have to wait. It might take another year and he might not want to do that. In that case, you can get the, you can get the nice deal for him and you can start make, you can use that money to reinvest into the club. I don't, I'm not saying sell Neymar. I'm saying you have to think of the long-term interest of what you're doing and if you're and what I think the right move here is to do is to just get to sort of sit back this year, the next year and rebuild the roster over the next three windows. And well, here's here's, yeah, here's my uh, here's my take on that. And, and even though I understand where you're coming from in terms of like, yes, it's time to it is essentially time to destroy and rebuild, but we have to ask two questions on, on two parts. Are the fans going to be patient enough to, to see this out? We know PSG fans that we see the, from the ultras and, 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 and on Twitter and all that stuff. And then is, is, is Neymar and Mbappe, you know, are they going to be, are their agents and their fathers going to be patient with PSG in this project? And that kind of, alludes to what you're saying, they have to sit down with Neymar or Mbappe and talk to them. It's like, hey, are you willing to go through this 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 little gap we're about to go through where we're gonna to try to re-identify the team? And yeah, that's the question. But it's it's also it's also it's not like you're just selling all these guys for scrap pieces. It's like you're going the idea would be you use this year and these three transfer windows that you're going to have, uh, summer of 19, winter of 20, and summer of 20, 
to get better to get players like um, to get a, a, a all world center forward to pair with Mbappe to get Neymar another midfield piece that can complement Paredes and Verratti to get center backs that are to get a Koulibaly type center back like you're not you know building through the farm system but you're you're kind of doing that <coughs> excuse me but you're also getting rid of pieces of this team that have proven time and time again that in big moments they're not sort of the core you want and if you lay this out to the fans and go look we're getting rid of a lot of these guys but we're also replacing them we're not replacing them with 19 year olds from our academy we're going to replace these players we're going to pretty much like for like but we're going to try to get good value for them and we're going to try to replace them with slightly younger promising kinds of talents in their early mid-20s I think that whether Neymar wants to do that or not I think Mbappe would be fine with that because I think he's he's probably around for the next six to seven just because by the time he's 24 he'll be in his prime and at that point you get eight, nine years somewhere else. So he's got so much time in his career to do this that I think if you if you tell Killian he, you're going to build around him, I think you'll be okay with that. We'll see with Neymar. But what I'm saying is this next... We can't go in... Here's what I mean, though. We can't go into next year saying the goal is to win the Champions League. That's stupid. I'm sorry, well, because... I mean, NASA's already come out and said it. You know what I mean? And, yes, and, and it's stupid. He, it's he it's dumb. Every year and says the same thing, and the expectation. This is what the media follows throughout the time. Every article about PSG starts with NASA, the president, and NASA Khalifi uh, has ambitions to win the Champions League. It's like the Rex Ryan with the Jets, where he promised Super Bowls every year, even if the team wasn't good. So again, but, that, but yeah, and I'm not calling Nasser a, a dumb person. He's a very intelligent businessman in certain regards. But this is very Al Davis, Jerry Jones level mm-hmm. uh, shot and fraud. Like, mm-hmm. and and like, you can't like even if Nasser wants to say that. If you're Tomas Tuchel or whoever the new sporting director is, and we have three months to talk about who the next sporting director is going to be, or in all that stuff. But the goal this this next year has to be we're going to be. We're going to either win league on or finish second. We're probably going to win it. But, you know, we're going to compete all for those domestic trophies. And in the Champions League, we probably aren't going to win it, but we're going to compete. We're going to try our best. We're going to reload this team. And in a year, we're going to have a roster that's different than the one we have. We're going to turn it over in the way Liverpool did, in the way that Real Madrid did in, in there with what they had to do. That's what you're selling to a fan base. And if you sell to the fan base that this is what we're doing, we're completely sort of, we're shaking this roster up and we're bringing in people who aren't associated with all of these terrible things. I think this fan base will go and give them a year. I do. Because if you spell it out and you lay it out for them, I think fans understand it. If you just do it without ex- explanation, I think fans in that case will be confused and angry. But I don't know if these fans necessarily want to see Thiago Silva and Cavani run out there again and Angel Di Maria. And 
I don't think they want to see that again. I think they've yeah. seen it. I think they know what the I think they know what the ending is going to be. So why go with that same thing? And I know I keep kind of repeating myself, but I want to drive this point home. This is as much psychological as it is tactical and uh, and skill based. Like you have to psychologically change the chemistry of not only the team but its relationship with its fan base. Because yeah. it doesn't matter if other people call you losers. Like, I don't care about what English pundits say. I block most of them. I don't care yeah. that yeah. they think that. But what I do care about is that the fans, and I think you could tell that from what the Ultras were saying, even the fans think they're losers. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just say, oh, we're just going to bring the same team back when your whole fan base thinks they're a bunch of losers. Which is unfair, but that's sort of where they are right now. And if you just say, oh, Tiago Silva's back again as the captain, like it's Groundhog's Day, you know, what are you going to do with that? What are the fans supposed to think? Are they supposed to come in and cheer the same way? Or at some point, do you just get jaded about it? Like... Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think we all we all agree on... At the, at, the, at the base of it all, this is all psychological because, again, when you asked at the beginning, how do we break down or analyze what, ran, what, what went wrong? You don't have a logical explanation in terms of like, like anything, uh, anything physical. It's all like a mindset, and I think that more so than anything is what has to change, and it has to start from the top. And it, with every every plan or. Or, or, or thing that whether it's wishful thinking or whether it's well thought out, are the board willing to put this action to plan? To put this plan to action, are they willing to? Is, is Nasser willing to kind of come down on his pedestal a little bit and and, and accept defeat? Because that's what he hasn't done. Even though we've lost a four nil lead to Barcelona or two two nil lead to Manchester United, he really hasn't accepted defeat. There, the the answer is always, I can't believe it happened. Like that, like I'm shocked. Like oh, he's shocked. <laughs> Even though it happens every year, he's shocked. It happens, but he's shocked, right? So he hasn't really accepted that defeat. So for me, that that that's the question in whether this is possible or not because if you you know like uh, going back to the entire Neymar and Mbappe thing it's that's what you have to explain this to because look if, if you know if, if he gets if they they, 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 they bench Thiago Silva or get rid of Thiago Silva bench Danny Alves or get rid of Danny Alves hey that's his Brazilian compatriots that the media is going to start writing about and saying that Neymar doesn't like what PSG is doing because he he whatever even even though that's petty and it's it's really irrelevant but those are things that they have to consider and are are they willing to kind of ruffle the feathers because essentially that's what you have to happen you have to destroy and rebuild you have to kind of unearth everything and start and build from the ground yeah. up and and again I go back to is the fan base willing to be patient yeah. because we've been promised the Champions League every year and we've been disappointed every year so. Logically, you would think, all right. So let this be the tipping point where I kind of bring myself down to earth and say, all right, let's 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 look at this logically. Let's look at all the missteps that we've made in the past five seasons. Like, is it is it possible for the fan base and is it possible for the the board to to, to do the same thing and for everyone to be on one accord and accept that we are have to we are going to have to 
built this thing from the ground up again while keeping some of the essential players that we need to keep. But like you said, get rid of those people who represent those years that we want to forget forever. Yeah, and you can't get rid of all of them, and I'm not even saying you have to get rid of all of them. It's just if you show a plan, and that's what I, I really am trying to hammer home here, which is there has to be a plan that is followed through for more than five minutes. And it's like, give me give me a, a solid year of we're getting rid of these guys, but it's going to take, let's say you get Eden Dzeko or... Um, was he the or Luka Jovic uh, from uh, Bayer Leverkusen or wherever he played? No, from Eintracht. From Eintracht. What'd you say? Mario. Uh, Mario, Mario Cardi. Cardi. Let's yeah. say that's your. It, and to me, like if you're trading out Edson Cavani for a younger striker, yes, but it's going to take a while for that to gel and work. But it will happen, and when it does, hopefully, it's better than what you were doing. Let's say you're trading out Thiago Silva for a Koulibaly. You know, I don't even think we'd get a Koulibaly, but even or a Matias Delete or somebody of that caliber. If you right. can, if you can do that, then you yeah, have I think a. The re- fan base will get behind that. Yes, Absolutely. of course they will, because that's yeah. what re- you're rebuilding the roster, but you're not replacing them with nothing. Right. You replace them with something, and you replace them with players that. You talk with Neymar and Mbappe and you go, here's the kind of players that we want to bring in. What guys would you work well with? Who would you like to have on your – like, you have this conversation with Neymar. It's like, look, Danny Alves was one of the best right backs in in this era or any other. But the dude's 36 years old. Like, he can still go out there and play minutes, but can he hold up in Champions League games for – the next two, three years? Probably not. So what kind of player do you want to bring in that you can work with that would be, you know, a, a, comp- a compliment to you while also replacing Danny Alves? Same idea with Angel Di Maria. It's like, look, Di Maria's been great, and I've, I I like the guy more than most, but it's like, like this is where, as an organization, you have to be smart and just go, okay, we can't buy everybody and keep everybody. We have to sell and buy. We have to sell then buy. So here are the players that we have to be able to part with in the first window. Here are some players we can get rid of in the second window. And here are some players we can get rid of in the third window. And then here are the players that we can bring in in the first window, the second window, and the third window. So that it's not, okay, we just dump everybody at once. You get rid of them and bring in and I know how hard it is to do transfers. I've been talking about it on this show for a year and a half. Like it's not you can't just snap your finger and get a guy. But that's where again planning, long-term planning. Name three or four guys out of your academy and go, "Here are three or four guys that we want to be who want who we want integrated into the first team by 2020, 2021." Arthur Zagre, um, is Nsoki a guy that's going to be a piece for you? Is Musa Diaby a piece for you? What about Tim Weah when he comes back off of loan? All these questions that are hanging there, but they're not connected to any sort of long-term plan. So, And to me, that comes from the sporting director, more than even the manager. So 
when you get that sporting director that you can have a, you know, who can talk with Tuchel and come up with some sort of plan, <laughs> then you can start moving forward and you can say, what's our three window plan? Yeah, and and it is in, in what you're saying. If you look at the Antero Enrique hiring, it was to the old plan, right? Bring in Neymar after going out four 0 to Barcelona. Bring in Mbappe. Bring in, you know, sell off. Try to get money back for some of the players that we don't really need. Yeah, and, and he did that job. And you know what? And I hate to cut you off for a second, but it's like it's not like the plan was just a terrible plan all along. There were some really smart things that PSG have done over the last five years. There have been some really stupid things, but there have been a lot of smart things. But at some point, you just have to say, it didn't work. And you have right. to change course, no matter how good you thought your plan was. Right. So the, the next the next sporting director can't be with the old mindset, with the old plan of you know, rinse and repeat, replace the same players and all that. It has to be a building. It has to be a, a process. And to you have to embrace the process. And, and again, I, just to play devil's advocate, the only thing I fear is that maybe PSG are way too deep into this into this, um, this sort of stratosphere that they've kind of usurped themselves into to kind of lower themselves back down to have to, and, and you're not lowering yourself all the way back down, but just a little bit, a little humbling, because this is what this is what this is essentially. It's a humbling experience for the fans, the players, everyone. And like, are they willing to to accept defeat and, and, and understand that? Because if they don't, they're going to make continue to make the same decisions again. Yeah. And and and, and that's what I fear. And and I, I believe that we all kind of uh, agree that. Whatever happens, I, I think Thomas Tuchel should stay. He he should he should be the 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 the, the decision maker alongside a, uh, a sporting director that he trusts and that he can work alongside of. And you know I don't doubt that there won't be rifts with a new sporting director just because it's it's the nature of of egos and and, and, and leadership personnel and, and when you're dealing with such delicate. Um, delicate situations and, and under such pressure that a club like PSG is, is in, like it, it's inevitable for there to be some, some disagreement there. But as long as everyone has their same understanding that the underlying theme of all of this is that we're trying to destroy and rebuild, get rid of the old mentality. And the thing about doing something new is unlearning. You have to unlearn all of those bad things that, that happen and, are they willing to do that? And that that that's to be that, that's to be determined. Yeah. But uh, man, I, I think all of this is just a very humbling experience for everyone. Yeah. And, and I'd like yeah. to I'd like to before we sort of go, I'd like to sort of put some specifics to what I'm talking about because a lot of what I'm talking about is very vague and uh, abstract. So I want to hammer some things down. The first thing they need to do is get that sporting director that they can pair with Tomas Tuchel if they think he's the guy. And quite frankly, I like Tomas Tuchel, but I'm not in the give him whatever he wants um, mode at this point. Because quite frankly, is he done it? he's barely done more than Unai Emery did in his first year. I mean, he won the league. He's going to win the league, but that's the only real difference. 
He's gotten no farther than Unai Emery. So does he deserve the blank check that Unai Emery never got? I don't know. Maybe. But that's that, I think, is something that's you... difficult, though, because I feel like he was heading there. He was. That's why, and that's why this loss is so traumatizing. But you know what? But people, forget, people forget that Unai Emery, in the month of that February before the collapse, had PSG beating Barcelona 4-0. They beat Marseille 5-1 on the road. Yeah. Like, they were on... They were... They were going in the right direction there, too. Yeah, you're right. But what happened was, besides the fact that he never genuinely had... Now, the question you have is, did he, does Tuchel still have the confidence of his team around him? Uh-huh. The problem they had with Emery was, he, that loss, I think, killed a lot of the confidence that those players had, and they kept Emery around... And those players never really fully trusted him again, which is why I'm saying that it's important to rotate a lot of these players out so that Tuchel has new people to talk to and that you have a core that respects Tomas Tuchel and what he does. I think Neymar does and Mbappe probably does. But like that, that's what I mean. It's like, is, is, are we going in that same direction? I don't necessarily think so. I think Tuchel's a more of a, I think Tuchel has a stronger will than Emery, and Emery is showing in Ar- showing in Arsenal that he's not exactly a very good manager. So I-, I think Tuchel's the guy, but I'm not sort of willing to like sell out for him yet. But be- once you get to that point, once you have the the sporting director that manage the the manager secure, then it's about getting you a midfield that is not piecemeal finally solving that issue. And it doesn't mean getting N'Golo Conte, but it means getting depth, getting midfielders that do different things so that Verratti can do his thing and then you have someone behind him that can fill that void. Paredes does his thing. Can those two survive in the same midfield together? We have to see. Um, you You need that kind of... A stalwart defensive midfielder that can change you tactically. They could have really used a nice defensive midfielder in that game. I know, I know the irony of what I'm saying, but they could have used somebody a little more physical that closed off the middle of the field and was disciplined to just stay in one place and not move. Because they had too many midfielders that were trying to fly all over the field and not enough that were staying in positions. They need to get rid of some of the redundancies. You can't keep Di Maria and Draxler. You have to keep one or the other, if any of them. Um, you need a solid enough striker so that Mbappe can play off. Because Mbappe is best when he's playing off a striker rather than, I think, when he's the, 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 the key up top. But then you need to do defensively. Um, is Tilo Kerr a right back? Is he a a center back in a back three, or can he play in a back two? If he can't play in a back two, then that might be concerning because now you have to, now it limits you tactically. Um, is Marquinhos is probably going to go back to being a center back. I don't think they're going to have him do defensive midfield stuff anymore. Um, Kimpembe, 
is Kimpembe going to progress or is he going to regress? What about the left back spot? All these are like questions you have to lay out on a sheet of paper, like on a, or on like a big whiteboard somewhere or like a big uh, smart board, whatever you want to call it now in the age of technology. And you have to have a sporting director and a coach sitting there for a, a week just looking at that team and going, where is it going? Then looking in their farm system and going, or their, not, not baseball, their, their academy and going, which guys are we grooming to bring up? Then you see, okay, if we have Arthur Zagre in the pipeline at left back, Who's right now playing with the ah? Who's right now playing with the reserve team? Why not keep Juan Bernat a year, and then have Zagre play behind him? What about Tomas Munier? Is Tomas Munier a guy that you trust? Obviously not. The guy's been beaten out two years in a row, once by Danny Alves, and now once by Tilo Kerr. So if Tuchel's your coach, Munier's probably not going to be your right back in the future. So you need to bring in a right back that can complement. You know what I mean? I can go on for the next. I can go on for the next twenty minutes having this conversation and and going through all these players, but this is what they have to do, and it has to be well thought out. And they can't just go, "Oh, it was a fluke that we lost." Although it's always a fluke that they lose. You know what? That's what has to change. Like they have to take a legitimate look at the team, and that's something they haven't done. Yeah, I think within the next couple of weeks, it's going to come out sort of what direction they're going to head and whether they're going to stick with the same group or, you know, or as you're uh, as you're laying out, kind of start working out, looking at everything at a position position basis. And see what we need to do. Now, and, and, and we they have time to do it. <laughs> they have time to do it because not to trivialize league, but that's kind of secured and locked up. Uh, they they can they can put that that, that time and diligence uh, towards uh, a, a new a new uh, era. But uh, I wanted to get, I wanted to bring up nobody's bringing up Neymar or the absence of Neymar in, in this in this loss. I kind of wanted to get you what. What you think about, like, you know, it's would, would we be in, would we be in this situation if he was there, or does it does it not even matter at this point? Because hmm. you know he's not there, and we lose that second tie, and maybe if he was there, that doesn't happen. Well, he wasn't there, and we won the first tie. Mm-hmm. Would here, here's the thing. If he was there, we would have, I think, easily gone through Manchester United. Like, I don't think it would have even been close. But, even with him out, they had put themselves in a position where they could manage the game, the second leg, and survive it. They didn't have to necessarily, they weren't going to play as well as they did at Old Trafford. I didn't even think that was going to happen. I thought they were going to barely get through it, but... That's the point, though. Isn't that... That really... It is the point. That they all they had to do in that situation was really just keep control of the game and not let some crazy weird stuff happen, and they let the crazy weird stuff happen. 
it's obvious, and I think it's obvious that if they had Neymar, they would have won both of those. Those two legs would have been completely different. Strategically, tactically, they just would have been different. But that brings up another, and you're raising another question here. Can he stay healthy? Right. And can you just say, oh, well, Neymar will be healthy next year? Well, maybe. I mean, probably, he's probably not going to break the, the fifth metatarsal again, but, you know, can you say for sure? Like, that's what I mean. It's like, you have to be able to, as a team, adapt. And you can't just say, oh, well, if we had Neymar these last two years, it would have been different. I don't know. It's hard to, it's, you can't predetermine what that outcome would have been. But it didn't help. And it forced PSG into some very sort of, I think it made PSG play in a very specific way, which they almost got away with. But in the end, they, let's be honest, they beat themselves. Like, they could have had, let's put it this way, if Neymar had miraculously come back, there's a chance that all three of those mistakes would have happened in a very similar way. Those mistakes were not because Neymar wasn't on the field. Those mistakes were because PSG allowed themselves to be caught up in the survival mode as opposed to sort of the mode of being sort of aggressive and attacking. They were in more sort of, we're going to try to maintain this without, you know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a way to control a game without being aggressive. And PSG did that in the first leg. But in the second leg, it was more about – in the second leg, it was more about being aggressive without the control as opposed to being controlled without the aggression. I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, – Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's it, – well, it's, it's just difficult to – it's like – because we, we've kind of – and I brought that up is because we – this is how traumatic and, and, and bad this entire thing was where we totally didn't even mention that for a reason because it wouldn't have mattered because at the end of the day, what's in this core, what's in this in this core of this team, you can't a coach can't fix that. One superstar uh, uh, you know player can't fix that and and because I, 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 if you look at it from a very Game by game basis and season by season basis, we haven't when we when we get knocked out, we're not at full strength, and then we're not at we're not we're without our best player, and you know any other time we could have said we could have we could have been able to go to sleep at night knowing that we didn't have our best team, but this was against a team that you know granted they beat us was a lesser side because we had control of that match the entire time and like you said our mistakes is what won the game for them not because they beat us but that's the but you know what that's and i think that's where i want to make the distinction we were the aggressor in that game we did not have the control yeah that's the that's the difference you had the aggression without the control and this is where a team like manchester united can take it even with their depleted roster. They still had millionaires on that field. You can take advantage of that because, yeah, PSG were throwing bodies forward, but they weren't doing anything to really pierce through. And I think that 
going forward, and let's just even talk about the immediate future here. If you're so much, and I think we'll end on this because it's it's this is depressing. Um, I think you just play. I think you bring up academy players. I I think once you once the league is won, which will probably be in late March, early April. I think you just you you bring in some of those academy players like the Zagres of the world, and you play a lot of Insoki, you play a lot of Diaby. Just give those guys minutes. And Kanku, give him, Unkunk, just let Kanku start every game. Who cares at this point? Like, let's see what that guy can do. Let's see if he can. Let's see if Unkunku can fill in that role and be an everyday player. Because you know what? If he if it succeeds, he can you can bump up his value. Or you can decide to keep him as part of the of the new regime and the new team. But, like, I don't want to see a lot of Thiago Silva. I don't think he's needed. I think you just have to say, look, once we get the League One, it's academy players. It's We're going to see what we have. It's not – it's like – in a weird way, it's kind of like what they do in the NBA when they tank – but it's not that because you're obviously winning the league. But I, I just I think there's no reason to not just have a lot of your youth players out there getting a lot of minutes and just seeing what they can do. Because I don't need to win the league by I don't need to get to 100 points. I don't need to do any of that crap. I just win the league and then let's see what you got. Yeah, see you out. All right. Um, I don't think I have anything else to add. John, do you have anything else to add? Um, no, man. It's uh, it's it's been like I've never let the sports affect me in this way. But it's yeah. it's one of those losses, man. It's, it's it's really bad as an organization. And what the ultra said, the thing that stuck out in that statement that they put out is that we are the laughing stock of European football. And you can't really, like, disagree with that, even though it's, like, it's one of those things it's hard to admit. It's like, yeah, like, we are the butt of the joke right now. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're, we're right back at it. You know, the content's not going to stop. We're not going to stop writing articles. We're not going to stop trying to look at, like, we just did this entire podcast and trying to look at ways to fix this because there's nothing else to do, really. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. All right. Um, so they can follow you where? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at God for short, G-O-D-F-R-S-H-O-R-T. I'll probably be doing some type of uh, uh, analysis on uh, on some players who have kind of uh, been on the downward in terms of trajectory uh, and, and, and not even looking at it from the standpoint of, of this loss, but just over the, the entire season. Uh, so just be on the lookout so for some more content and articles uh, from from my perspective. Yep, and you can follow me at Mark Damon One. Um, since there's really no Champions League left to to worry about, I'm pretty much going to be doing <laughs> one show a week, Saturday or Sunday, depending on when PSG play. There's only two more Coupe de France matches, so basically PSG have 14 games left this year. So we'll have. We'll we'll get you through to the end of the year. We'll have some uh, we'll have some specials. I'll have a bunch of people on to talk about what they what they would do. I think I pretty much explained my side. I'll let other people explain theirs, and then we'll be um, off uh, off 
to the 2019 offseason. Um, we got a couple more big games. The Classic is uh, next Sunday, so we'll have coverage of that. Uh, that should be fun. Mario Balotelli's involved, so he'll probably look yeah. to rub some salt in the wounds. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> that that should be uh, that should be interesting. Um, and oh, you know what? Let me just add this before we go. I. I I hear a lot of people like getting on Adrian Rabio and I know I, we haven't brought his name up once, but like, this is one of those times where I'm going to like defend the dude. Like PSG kicked him out to a degree. <laughs> like, is he supposed to be in mourning? Like, is he not, is he supposed to like be in mourning with the rest of the players? Is it like that big a deal that he showed up at the club? Yeah, it's like it's like you're in jail, but you can't enjoy yourself either, right? Like you know, <laughs> as as crappy as Adrian Rabio can be, so as a human being, yeah. in his decision making and stuff, like you can't expect him to be loyal after you your uh, your uh, you your your higher ups just basically banished him. You know, like that that to me is like the stuff that. When you look at it from a from a PSG fan perspective, I get why that can you know, I get why that can rub some people the wrong way. But it's like, don't focus on that stuff. Focus on the real issues about it. So, just wanted to get that off my chest. I just did, I I thought it was just a bit of a of a of a distraction from something that I think obviously when you're traumatized like that, you're looking for someone to yell at. But I don't think Adrian Rapio is that guy. Um, so. Um, for PSG Talk, this has been John Alonghi and Mark Damon saying au revoir for now.